0: to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers. And make sure to follow us over on TikTok. You can find us at beyond underscore blathers and please give us a follow. So today I'm so excited because we're talking about the whale shark, which
1: <laughs> I love. The whale shark is the closest thing to a whale in the game, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> which makes me feel like I don't know. Like I should have made this like a two parter. Like I feel like it's a big deal, mm. and now I'm kind of panicking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did I did I research this enough? But I think I did. I think I think it'll still be good. But now I'm feeling a lot of pressure.
0: <laughs> we can always have like a an expert come on one day and do a a second part or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like this is the kind of animal where, you know, like someone who's actually worked with whale sharks would have a lot of very interesting anecdotes because research wise, it kind of seemed like there was pretty minimal information on them. They're just kind of hard to study. But I I feel like someone who like works at a place where whale sharks come by a lot, they'd have a lot of cool stories.
0: Oh, that would be amazing. I, I would kill to see a
1: whale shark. Oh, yeah, it would be amazing. Anyway, now that I'm done, like, dissing our own show... (laughs) Yeah, don't... (laughs) My own research before we even start. Don't get
0: expectations so low.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, let's, let's see what Blathers has to say. So, if you bring a whale shark to Blathers, he'll say, The mighty whale shark is the largest species of fish in the world, with specimens up to 60 feet long. Unlike many of their kin in the shark family... Whale sharks are non-violent, eating only plankton and such. They grow slowly and live long, relaxed lives of filter feeding and leisure in warm waters. So if you ever have to choose a fish as a roommate, you could do worse than the whale shark, unless you can't swim. Oh, I want a whale shark roommate.
1: <laughs> That's the most peaceful description. They grow slowly and live long, relaxed lives. So sweet. Like- that's, that's a goal. Just chilling. Yeah. But I, I do have issue with blathers insinuating that other sharks are violent. That just feels like a very value-laden val- value word. Like maybe,
0: I don't know, carnivorous would be a better word. <laughs> yeah, or like,
1: yeah, I don't know, or maybe like dangerous. I don't know, dangerous is also like a little intense, but violent just seems... yeah. It just seems like a lot. Like
0: they they actively enjoy
1: being like seeking out. They're like violence. serial killers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So, okay, a lot of mood swings in that particular Bladders quote. <laughs> He's like not all sharks.
0: <laughs> Whale sharks are
1: good. <laughs> They're cute. And they are really cute though, like but but can we take like a moment to think about the fact that this animal is a shark? Like, that to me is kind of mind-boggling. I mean, obviously the shark is in the name, but when you think about it, like, okay, this is the biggest fish in the world. It's really the largest non-mammalian animal in the world. Yeah. And like, I was talking to my lab mate yesterday about whale sharks and she was like, it's weird to think about people eating this animal because would it look like a whale inside or like a fish um, and she said that and I was like, oh, yeah, like I was just sort of imagining like the inside would be all like blubbery. Right. Like, it, I, I don't know. I just have this image in my mind because I'd been reading about uh, people eating whale shark, which is something we'll get to later. But like I had this image of my in my mind of like, you know, beluga, mm-hmm. like and when people eat beluga and what that looks like. I just sort of figured it would look like that. But when g- we Googled it, it kind of looked like a combo of a fish and a whale. So it. It had, like, that salmon color, but there were, like, what looked like fat or maybe skin that was really thick on it. Mm. It was just very interesting. So, anyway, it's kind of a weird place to start <laughs> this episode, but, like, yeah, it does kind of mess with my mind. No
0: description of the outside, just the inside. <laughs>
1: no, just what does what does the meat look
0: like? I love, like, <laughs> I always think of them as looking like a night sky. Like, I love how big they are and then the the spots, you know, like the white
1: yeah. spots,
0: they look like a universe.
1: Aw, that's so cute. That's such an that's a much better description <laughs> than what I did.
0: But then inside they
1: look like salmon. <laughs> but inside they look like salmon. It's funny you say that too, like about the spots, because they're part of a group called the carpet sharks. And most sharks in this group have those spots on their bodies that, you know, make them look like a kind of creepy, spooky carpet. But yeah, I mean, these ones have spots too, just like their cousins, even though they're like a bazillion times bigger and don't hang out on the ocean floor like the rest of the carpet sharks. But yeah, I mean, they're they're so big and like they have those like massive looking heads, Mm -hmm. those big gaping mouths, but they're just like cute. Like there's no other way to describe it. They just look really wholesome. They're also known for having a mouth that doesn't extend past their eyes. So as a whole group, all the carpet sharks are like this. And I thought that was interesting because I was trying to think, like, what makes the whale shark cute? And I think that's what it is. Like, its eyes are further further apart than their mouth. It makes them look very cartoonish. Like, you know, if you draw a cute smiley face, you have, like, wide apart eyes and then, like, a little smile? Maybe that's stupid, but <laughs> it's just... I read that and I was like, oh, that's why they're so cute.
0: Good character design. By evolution. Yeah, really.
1: It's very like Baymax energy. Yeah, and the other thing too I noticed on their Wikipedia page that completely derailed my investigation into them was I came across an animal called the Wobblegong. So it's also a carpet shark. And I just wanted everyone to know that that shark exists. <laughs> and it's called the wobble gong.
0: Is that the one that looks like pizza?
1: Yeah, it <laughs> looks like pizza. It's got the spots. It's like orange and yellow
0: Yeah, it really looks like a pepperoni pizza on the ocean
1: floor. (laughs) (laughs) With like little mustaches. Like they've got little like tendril things around their mouth. Yeah, so okay, going back to the whale shark. Gotta focus here. My brain's kind of everywhere today. The whale shark is the only species in its genus, rhinocodon. So it's one of the few times in our podcast where... An episode actually only looks at a specific animal like a specific species like I feel like so often we're like there's like four different species of this there's a hundred species yeah this one is just one keeping it simple here just one whale shark
0: okay that makes a lot of sense They're, they do seem very
1: unique yeah and it was interesting because like going into this I thought okay maybe there's like two different species or three different species but yeah it's just all one wow
0: and so what do they eat blathers said that they eat plankton and are, are non-violent
1: or <laughs> non-violent. Yeah, they whale sharks are filter feeders. So they have these filter pads in their mouths and these process their food as they swim around with their mouth just hanging open. But they aren't so much passive in the way they eat. They'll sort of use suction and they'll also sort of like barge into schools of fish to get their food. So they're not basking sharks are a lot more passive in how they eat. Those are the sharks with even bigger mouths. They're not as cute as the whale sharks. But uh, yeah, so the, the whale sharks are a bit more, you know, gung-ho about it. They do eat a lot of plankton. In fact, they eat about 20, over 20,000 grams of plankton a day. But they'll also go through a lot of krill, shrimp, fish, and even larger food like tuna and squid. So they're not like exclusively plankton feeders, not like some baleen whales, which will really only eat like small, small stuff. Like they they can eat bigger fish. Some research has even shown that they're consuming a lot of algae and plants. So they might actually be considered omnivorous. Now it makes sense that they'd accidentally be eating some plant material, but whether they're intentionally looking for food that is plant-based. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, That was kind of a weird way of saying it. that That remains to be seen. So they might just be sort of accidentally ingesting it and getting some nutrients from it. But it would make sense for them to... Eat some algae and eat some plants because they will often go through periods where they don't find any food food is really scarce they're like in the middle of the ocean deep down somewhere and they can go up to four months without having any food so if they are consuming some algae that might you know help them out in these times of of great scarcity whale sharks will also do this really cool hunting strategy that i saw a video of and i'm sure anyone can search this up there's this video of them hunting alongside other whale sharks, other sharks, tuna, and seabirds. And so they sort of use this like all like attack at once kind of strategy where the whale sharks will just be able to go in and scoop all these fish up, but instead of all the fish just like swimming away from it they can't really go anywhere because they're surrounded by all these other predators so in the meantime seabirds can pick off the you know floundering ones and sharks are coming in keeping the school of fish in this nice clean ball for them to all eat so it's a really cool behavior and makes sense why a whale shark would want to partake in this
0: i feel like i've definitely seen that on like a planet earth or
1: something yeah it was like on national geographic or something Mm -hmm. A lot, I will say, like a lot of the information for some reason from this episode, I got from National Geographic. Like I had an easier time finding info from them. So, just heads up on that. It kind
0: of makes sense because they're such a charismatic animal. They're probably like filmed a lot compared to maybe how much they're studied. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I they're they're a very like popular journalists like, feel-good story kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of articles that were just, like, these scuba divers rescued a whale shark. And I was, like, that's cool, but it's (laughs) not very interesting. Like, I'm glad they were able to save the whale shark. Anyway, yeah, so another cool thing I came across for whale sharks was their different hunting adaptations and their keen senses. So it's going to be a reoccurring theme here where we just, like, don't know a lot of, like, hard research on whale sharks so a lot of this is kind of speculation but we think that whale sharks depend quite a bit on their vision and the reason this is or the reason this is thought is because they have a lot of defenses to protect their eyes including these kind of like toothy scales on their eyeballs called denticles so it's kind of like if their scales just like kept growing over their eyes and they have like these little armored plates on their eyes They will also retract their eyeballs into their head. Can you imagine you're just swimming with a whale shark and suddenly it's like, and its eyes just like, (laughs) into its head. That's kind of cute. Whale shark chemosensory receptors haven't been studied as well as other sharks, but they probably are very good at detecting prey around them using those senses. So again, don't know a ton, but they're probably really good at it. Also, their inner ears are the largest in the animal kingdom, and they probably have a very keen ability to detect low frequency sounds. So all of this is probably a mix of helping them, you know, avoid danger, helping them find food, and probably also helping them find each other. They're not, even though they'll they'll come together in groups, they're mostly solitary animals. So if they do need to find a mate, I'm sure... like detecting low frequency sound or having those chemosensory receptors would be pretty helpful in that. It's also worth mentioning that whale sharks have the thickest skin of any animal on the planet at 14 centimeters thick on the back. So they have a whole bunch of records here. The skin one was weird to me, though. Like, I would not expect a whale shark to have really thick skin. I would expect, like, I don't know, blue whale or something. Right. But they'll often present their back as a defense if a predator attacks, which makes sense. If you've got thick skin, better to bite that than your fin.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. They definitely are world record holders.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that helps their sort of charismatic, easy factoid memorability. Yeah.
0: And so where do they live? Definitely not Vancouver, unfortunately.
1: Okay, here's the thing though. So this is one of the things I actually found most interesting and unexpected about the whale shark. So I was under the impression that they were exclusively the kind of sea creature that you found in like the Indian Ocean slash like around the Philippines and Indonesia, that whole area, but nowhere else. Turns out, That they can be found in both the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans. Most of them are in like the Pacific, but you know, there's still a population in the Atlantic and they're all kind of concentrated around the equator. They really don't like to be in water colder than 21 degrees Celsius. As Blather said, they're warm water animals. And the Atlantic and the Pacific whale sharks are separate subpopulations that will migrate huge distances. They definitely don't just stay in one place normally. What's super crazy, though, is that the Atlantic population can be found between Maine or Portugal all the way down to South Africa, with at least one individual spotted in the Bay of Fundy in New Brunswick. Wow. And that is crazy to me. Like, can you imagine you're in New Brunswick and you see a whale shark?
0: I would think I would misidentified it, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'd be like, that's a really weird looking porpoise. Yeah. <laughs> like- Oh, my goodness. I mean, it it doesn't sound like it's as far as I could tell, that's the only time that's ever happened. And that was like in the late 90s. But wow, that's insane. Like even Maine. Maine is basically at the Bay of Fundy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was really shocked by that. I would be genuinely so confused if I saw a whale shark <laughs> yeah. in any of these places. That's that's um, really Which makes cool. me think like maybe they've gone up to Vancouver. Like, yeah, who knows? Ugh, anyway. The Pacific population has been found at a maximum of like slightly north of Japan and all the way down to Victoria, Australia. So they also have a pretty large range, although most are found where the water is very, very warm.
0: Right. And so can you tell us a bit about their life history? Like, I guess I imagine them sort of like whales, but I don't know. Are they more whaley or sharky in their (laughs)
1: life history? Um, in my expert opinion, I would say they're more whaley.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the scientific term.
1: <laughs> based on only one thing, yeah. But this is crazy because for the longest time, people had no idea, like anything, about their reproduction. They didn't know where they were mating, where they were having babies, wh- like they didn't know anything. Then finally, in the late 90s, some researchers got a hold of a whale shark that had been harpooned by a commercial fishing vessel. They got this specimen, and the shark just so happened to have. 300 baby whale sharks inside her so they learned that not only are whale sharks incredibly productive and probably a lot of their babies die like super fast after being born because they're just producing so many young but they also learned that whale sharks are giving live birth so what's really cool about this is they seem to sort of have a continuous production or like somewhat continuous production of like babies going on and they're probably using like different sperm packets to fertilize those eggs and giving birth to like a few at a time. So they're probably not just like spurting them all out at once, but yeah, like live birth. How wild is that?
0: That's really interesting. It does kind of seem like a combination of, yeah, like a fish and a
1: whale for sure. And it makes sense. Like, I guess it would be a lot of effort for something big like that to find a good place for the eggs to... To to put its eggs or something like it, it it makes sense especially because I mean didn't we talk about the great white shark and how they I'm fact checking myself here but I think they also give live birth yeah
0: I think we talked about that
1: okay yeah they they do the same so uh, same with the whale sharks um as the great white sharks they produce an egg but the egg is inside them and then it hatches inside so they're still they're they're called viviparous right yes yeah it's very interesting um but they still don't know like where or how they reproduce, really. That's, like, (laughs) that's the crazy thing. Like, after all this research on, like, the baby whale sharks and how much that, that science was able to learn from that, we still don't know, like, where exactly they breed.
0: Yeah, it's kind of similar for some whales as well, for sure. It's interesting about, like, harpooning them because that's how we kind of first learned about killer whales, too. Like, people really had no idea what they were like or what they ate or how they reproduced or even what they really looked like until they were trying to kill one and then they accidentally like caught it with the harpoon and then they dragged it back to Vancouver Harbor and that was in the 60s
1: so that's so recent that's crazy like for this for the whale sharks they were discovered I guess like quote-unquote discovered in the early like 1800s by I think one was harpooned off South Africa and that's sort of when it was named right so it's, yeah, I mean, with the ocean animals, like, even these massive creatures, they can go unnoticed for so long, like, yeah, or, like, unknown for so long. Yeah. And that blows my mind. And even
0: if they're known, like, killer whales were known about, but people hated them so much, and, like, there were so many misconceptions about them, and they didn't really know. I mean, animals that live primarily underwater, you never really get a good look at them, and, yeah, and they've, they're hard to study, so... Yeah, it's always interesting to talk about, especially when it's like, it's such a giant animal, but it's still so mysterious to us.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so could you talk a bit about like, their lifespan? Because I know Blathers talked about them living long, relaxed lives.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, they can live at least 50 years. And the way they figured this out was wild. So Most of the time when scientists want to determine the age of a fish, they look at this inner ear bone called the otolith and they can kind of count growth rings in the otolith, kind of like counting the rings on a tree. But they can't do this with the whale sharks because they don't have otoliths. So for a while they were counting the rings on the whale shark's vertebrae, but they weren't super sure if this was accurate for determining age. Like they didn't know if a ring represented a year necessarily. And then they decided to do something very cool. They started tracing carbon-14, which is a chemical byproduct from Cold War-era bomb detonations. And these bombs basically just quadrupled the amount of carbon-14 in the atmosphere. And as the chemical was deposited in the oceans, traces have been left in the skeletons of sea life. So the amount of carbon-14 in the whale shark can help scientists guess how long those sharks are living. And that's really important too, because when you're creating conservation plans, you need to know, like, what is the life cycle of this animal? You know, how long does it take them to reach adulthood? How long do they live? And how does that all impact the population? If we have a really long-lived species, we should, you know, expect to find older adults. And if we're just finding smaller, younger adults, that can be cause for concern. So I said they can live at least 50 years. Now, the whale shark skeletons they had to test this on were, you know, they were lucky enough to get these specimens. They were big, but they weren't the biggest whale sharks they found. So it's reasonable to expect that whale sharks can get way older than 50 years old. One fish biologist, Mark Nihen, guessed that they might even get as old as 100 years. So that's not entirely unexpected considering the great white shark's they can live up to 100 years old and the Greenland sharks can live up to 300 years.
0: Yeah. Greenland sharks are so cool. I wish they were in the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're fascinating. Like just thinking about what the Greenland shark has like kind of lived seen. through. Yeah, <laughs> Like, I mean, they're just like chilling at the bottom of the Arctic Ocean. So yeah, they probably haven't seen a lot. But like, <laughs> <laughs> still, that's kind of mind boggling.
0: Well, yeah. So you were talking about sort of age and conservation and definitely curious. I don't feel like I hear a ton about whale shark conservation, but definitely they are sort of like, yeah, a charismatic animal. And I I sort of assume anything that's like very big in the ocean is probably not doing well.
1: Yeah. I, them in particular, they were recently upgraded from threatened to endangered in 2016, which is a big bummer. What isn't working in their favor is The fact that they're very slow growing animals, it can take decades for them to reach maturity and reproduce. So that doesn't help. Like it's it's hard to survive to 20, 25 years. And if that's the point when you're first reproducing, that's bad for the population. It's going to take a long time for them to recover from any kind of disturbance or threat. Right. Speaking of threats, I mean, their main a really big threat they've got is the fishing and the bycatch. There's two aspects to this. One is the international market for whale shark. And then the other thing is accidental catches, by catch. So the market for whale sharks is illegal in most countries and by international law. It's a CITES Appendix 2 listed species. So you definitely need... I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to trade it at all. Or if you do, you have to have a permit for like research or whatever. But a single whale shark carcass can go for $30,000. Just like that's so much money. A whale shark is a delicacy in mo- some places. Their oil can be used for a variety of purposes and their skin may be sold kind of as fashion pieces. So those are some of the, I guess, the markets for them. In 2013, a slaughterhouse in China was exposed for having 600 whale sharks in their possession. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's illegal, but like who's watching you on the ocean? Um, right. <laughs> it's, it can be really, really hard to enforce. Whale sharks are also vulnerable to bycatch. They're often associated with tuna fish and fishermen have learned to use the presence of whale sharks to indicate where tuna might be. So they can kind of let that lead them to where they're going to throw out their nets. And of course, if you're throwing out a net in a place where a whale shark has led you to, you're very likely to catch a whale shark. And so that's pretty dangerous for them. Whale sharks also like to be near the surface to feed that also makes them really vulnerable to either being caught by nets or being hit by boats, so yeah they're they're facing a lot out there, and they're slow, so it's hard for them to respond to to dangers,
0: yeah, that's really sad to hear,
1: yeah, and like the other hard thing too, I don't know why, but like. This is, this like bums me out even more than just hearing about like individuals getting hit by boats. But like there was some research done by the University of Western Australia and the Australian Institute of Marine Science at Ningaloo Bay. And Ningaloo Bay is a real hot spot for whale sharks. There's a lot of research that happens there. There's some ecotourism that happens there. Now these researchers, they're starting to get really concerned because they were noticing that the whale sharks they'd been recording, they're quite a bit smaller than the ones recorded a decade ago. According to National Geographic, um, an article by Tracy Watson, quote, The biggest animal spotted on the reef in the mid-1990s was 43 feet or 13 meters long, but only 33 feet 10 meters in the early 2000s, and an even more modest 26 feet 8 meters a half decade ago. So that's sort of suggesting that the overall whale shark population is much younger than before. So the older sharks are dying more often than the young sharks aren't living to that older age. So definitely a really big cause for concern, especially when you're seeing a pattern like that. The one thing they did also mention in the article is that it can be difficult to measure whale sharks seeing as they're in the water. So it's possible there's just some, like this data might be skewed a little depending on the measurements, but... Also, like this observation seems to be matched around the world, so it it does seem pretty reasonable to expect that. The other thing to consider is that maybe we're seeing a leg effect from when back before there were a lot of protections for them. So it's possible we're just kind of seeing those effects now. They're just taking a while to recover from overfishing. but yeah, overall the it's it's a pretty concerning a pretty concerning piece of research
0: yeah that's that's really sad to hear. And just, it definitely matches up with a lot of what's happening to whales, and uh, it's sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to end on a super sad note, but there's a lot of conservation efforts. As you said, they're very charismatic megafauna, which is working in their favor. They've got a lot of attention, a lot of conservation dollars, and they're very appealing to ecotourists. So, what's being done to save them? For one, there's a lot of research. As I said before, very little known about the whale sharks. There's a lot of mystery surrounding when they congregate, where the adults go during certain times of the year, how mating occurs, where mating occurs, all that sort of thing. So learning more about whale sharks is very important and very helpful. They are often tagged and tracked. So that's the nice thing about having a big animal is that they're like a little bit easier to to tag in the first place. So they've been able to learn a lot about their movements. And one strategy I thought was really cool is that they're using... Well, they're kind of, it's like a form of citizen science. Basically, there's this one company called Wild Me, and they created a software called Wild Books. So basically it uses an AI program to scan the internet for pictures or videos that people post of whale sharks. They then screen the time and date and the pattern of the spots in the whale, and then they're able to identify the specific whale's based on those spots and then all this data goes into the system to track where the sharks are which is great because of course people are taking a lot of videos tourists are taking videos you know whoever's snorkeling with the whales is taking videos so this software has really been able to increase the number of sightings of different whales and so having a little bit more data again really helps with having an idea of where the sharks are going do i keep saying whales if i've said whales no i'm talking (laughs) about whale sharks (laughs) So they're able to to figure out where the where the sharks are a lot better. Yeah, um, you can tell I'm getting confused. I'm like thinking of them as whales, which is really weird. Yeah,
0: no, this is so cool. Like AI is being used so much in conservation, and especially with these sorts of like with whales and with I guess whale sharks. It's pretty. You you can tell them apart. Like they're they're definitely individuals with their own like unique patterns and everything. So. That's really cool. There's a similar program for for humpbacks as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I saw the one for like the tail flukes, like they scan the tail fluke. That's so cool to me. It sounded like with the whale sharks, there's like a specific part of their body that has like a very identifiable like fingerprint of of spots. And so they look for that specific spot. So that's super cool. Like who would have thought like using people's like Instagram selfies with whales could be (laughs) helpful. Speaking of which, we got to talk about ecotourism here because that's like a big, that's a big impact on on whales. So whale sharks, <laughs> there we go again. So ecotourism, it's definitely not a perfect solution to the threats the whale sharks face. But there are definitely some, you know, it's, it's one of those issues where there's a lot of good, but also like some concerns. So in some places, including one island I read about, Oslob in the Philippines, or sorry, I think Oslob might be the specific location on the island whale sharks are fed to keep them around for tourists to swim with and to you know take photos with they do really try to keep the whale sharks safe here the boats they use are non-motorized they're all like paddle operated and the tourists are told like you will go to jail if you get too close or touch the sharks or harass the sharks so they're very particular about that but nevertheless like it about 95% of the swimmers break the rules. Often, though, it happens accidentally. Like, if you're in the ocean, like, you don't have a lot of control if an animal comes up to you. Yeah. Um, and if it touches you or if you, like, accidentally bump it, bump into it. I think about um, when I was a kid and I went to Hawaii and, like, we did some snorkeling with sea turtles like there was this beach and they had like a NGO set up there that like educated everyone about the turtles and like you weren't allowed to touch the turtles or get too close but the water would be really murky and you'd just be like walking around and like basically fall over turtles (laughs) yeah so you know I can definitely see how even though they're saying hey don't touch the whales like if the whales are just like eagerly eating shrimp that they're being fed from these boats of course people are going to touch them and like get too close. And and if they
0: associate people with food too, like if they've made that association and it's also too, like when I was in the Galapagos, I had a similar thing happen with the Galapagos sea lions because they're really, really, really not afraid of people and they're oh, very wow. playful. And like when, yeah, when you're snorkeling with them, like they will like a hundred percent come up to you and they're like playing with you and stuff. And it's hard to kind of not engage or that kind of thing. Like they're fast too and they're pretty big. So.
1: Wow. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would ask you more about that, but <laughs> I guess <laughs> we should probably focus on the whale sharks because that's really interesting. But I mean, you you mentioned it. That was one of the issues, but I'll, I'll bring up the positives first here. Like the ecotourism itself is really good for the local economy. Resorts have popped up all over the place. The money seems to be going back to the local economy It's all locally run. Many locals no longer need to fish as much from the depleted reefs. So instead, they can go out and fish for shrimp to feed the sharks. So they kind of give the reefs a bit of a rest in that sense. Some locals have even gotten to stay in town instead of going out of town for work. So socially, that can be really important. And for some, they were getting money from hunting whale sharks or fishing for other creatures in ways that could have been considered environmentally harmful or in a way that was like overfishing stock, as I said before, with the reefs. So it, it's a really good economic option for people and it can definitely reduce the environmental pressure in A lot of ways. But as you said, like there are concerns on the health of the whale sharks. So I mean, for one, as you said, now there's a positive association between the boats and food and the whale shark. So if the whale sharks end up leaving Oslob, they're a little bit more likely probably to go up to boats in the future and expect fish and end up getting hurt. So according to National Geographic, half the whale sharks seen at Oslob had scars from boats on them. So obviously something's going wrong there. Another issue is that the food they're getting discourages them from finding a more diverse selection of food, which could result in less healthy whale sharks. And then a third issue is that while many whale sharks will sort of, you know, they'll come in for a few days, then they'll leave. There is a population that stay year round and that's not really natural for them. They normally have a very migratory behavior. So there is concern that that could alter their behavior in a way that's not healthy for them. So, yeah, that one's a little like it seemed a little less concrete in terms of we don't really know what that effect would be on them, but probably not good. I also think, and I didn't really read this anywhere, but my like ecologist senses are tingling, but anytime I hear about humans feeding animals, I think about disease spread. Like if you get a group of animals that don't usually congregate that often and have them hanging out in the same area for long periods of time, that's just a recipe for disease spread. So I would be concerned about that too. That being said, it isn't entirely rare for whale sharks to aggregate in response to food blooms. So there's lots of reported cases all around the world of sharks gathering in groups of up to 100, 400 individuals to feed on plankton blooms or yeah, any kind of food related gathering. So yeah, it's it's a complicated issue. I don't know how I feel about ecotourism. I think even if I knew everything, I would still feel like there's good and bad yeah about it.
0: Totally. I I agree. Like we see it so much here in sort of yeah, the Vancouver area and there are so many great things about it and there are a lot of things that kind of scare me about it. Like whale watching here, that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to think of a perfect solution.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't think there is, too. I think it really depends on your values and you know what you want to prioritize when you're thinking about conservation decisions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's whale sharks. They're kind of contradictory creatures. They're like, they like warm water, except when they end up near Europe and Canada, they're both kind of slow and clumsy, but also they're kind of impressive predators that will eat things like tuna, which I don't really understand how that would work because they're so fast. And then they're really popular and well-known animals, but no one seems to know all that much about them really when it comes down to it. And the solution for saving them may be ecotourism, but it also might not be ecotourism. So they're just full of contradictions. They're they're hard to pin down, <laughs> but I appreciate that about them.
0: Yeah. I think I mean you kinda came into the episode saying, Oh, I don't know if I had that much to say about them, but this was a lot. Like I feel like I learned a lot about them for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I hope I hope people liked a little bit more conservation stuff this episode, because mm-hmm. we don't always have a ton to say. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of information about them online and cool videos and stuff that I encourage people to look at. I mean, we didn't even get to talk about the remoras and the whale sharks. So, oh, yeah. if you want to learn more about remoras, we have an episode on remoras. Mm-hmm. So you
0: can go listen to that. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. That was really informative and fun it lived up to my whale shark sized expectations
1: (laughs) oh good i'm I'm relieved
0: (laughs) yes and thanks everyone for listening don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop beyond blathers we're gonna be updating it very soon so keep an eye out i'm very excited
1: and follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers and of course check out our tiktok at beyond underscore blathers
0: Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons.
1: Bye! Bye!